Describe to me what we're all doing. Rosalind's lying down. Stephen's weeding the garden. Anna's making a daisy chain. We're having this conversation. Good. But then you could go further. Rosalind is pregnant. Stephen is having an affair with a girl at Oxford. He's reached the age where he can't keep his hands off girls at Oxford. What? But he feels guilty, of course. So he makes up a story. What story? This story. Okay, now, this episode comes with a profanity warning. So if anybody out there is listening with their kids, you may want to listen to this one on headphones. Okay? So Who's doing the swearing? Uh, well, I will be. Okay. Because I'm quoting you. So this, <laughs> what I want to, this film is Accident, yes. which is based on a novel by Nicholas Mosley. Historical aside, he's the son of Oswald Mosley, famous fascist, but we yes. shouldn't hold that against him because he's interesting and skilled novelist the well, script... I was interested to note that one of his books is called Oswald which I'm assuming is about his dad about how great his dad I don't know <laughs> I don't know what his, his take on his dad was he, so he's a, uh, an intriguing writer and this I've read the novel and it was a kind of a cool novel adapted brilliantly in a fabulous screenplay by Harold Pinter directed by Joseph Losey with stunning photography by Jerry Fisher and a, an amazing cast but what I wanted to start by saying is do you know how many podcasts we've done? So how many movies we've done in this podcast so far, roughly? It's got to be about 30, 30 right. or 40. So 30 or 40 movies until last week, all of which were chosen by you. Yes. Have I ever complained? No, hang on. <laughs> uh, no, well, no, you haven't, but I've given you good films. That's, this is so... Well, <laughs> the point I'm making is, uh, how many emails did I get about the, the films that I asked you to watch this week? I think four four emails about two movies, and one of which was a Bond film, which you yourself had recommended, Thunderball. Well, we, we'll get to Bond. Yeah, but and this movie, I get this email saying, it's just three drunken cunts, and <laughs> I just I thought, what's he on about? And then I, when I watched the thing. The, the strange thing is, when I watch the movie, I've come to the sequence which I think must be the sequence you're talking about because there's the only one where all three people are together and drunk. Uh, it's when they're having lunch and they're going to stay for supper, is it that one? Yeah, that's yeah. pretty much where it is. Yeah, losing but the, me. Po- the point is, that's deep into the film. So, and you're saying it's losing you at that point. I, I could understand if you had trouble getting into it, but once you're into it, all of the plot points are kicking in quite strong. All of the, the stuff that's happening in this movie is happening quite powerfully there, and I couldn't understand why you weren't compelled by it. Well, here's the thing is, I was having this discussion with my daughter as well because she was watching me watch it. Okay. Said, why as, as why the, are you watching it if you don't like it? As distinct from watching it with you. Yeah. Yeah, because um, yeah, she's not interested in films. She was sitting there playing Skyrim. On paper, a film about three people should be right up my alley. 
Well, it's not about three well, no, people, but is it? Three, it's supposed to be, uh, from my reading of this, is this is supposed to be a character-driven film. And this is three people who uh, don't have characters. I would say that, you see, Pinter is a master of dialogue and nuance. I'd say it's a dialogue-driven film. And Well, here's the other problem. is I, yeah. I got distracted and went back 20 minutes before the drunk scene. And I started timing the space between lines. And because Harold Pinder is a player who's famous for pauses between yeah, his speeches. And, and it's agonising. Uh, it averages four seconds between lines. So when someone delivers one line of dialogue, the next character doesn't deliver theirs for four seconds on average. Now, four seconds is a long time to wait. If you sit silent for four seconds, you'll see how weird that is. Consequently, with this film... I have to say at this point, folks, that this film is a masterpiece. It's, it's, it's well, a, I've read a milestone of cinema. I read Pauline Kael's review. I read Andrew Saris's review. I thought, I must be missing something here. Did they um, all hate it? No, they all like it. Yeah. I mean, for the majority of them, I found sort of 7 to 10 out of 10, that seemed to be the average rating. Uh, people really like this film. Well, but no. it's just not clicking with me at all. Well, clearly not. Yeah. But, well, let me make the case for it. Even if you don't like the dark... I think the dark... So the cast is superb. I mean, I don't. I kind of want to not like Dirk Bogart, but he's so good. He gives such a nuanced. I know that's a cliche word, but his performance is, is subtle and detailed. Bogart's is the only performance I did like. You didn't like Stanley Baker? No. I think Stanley. Have you seen him in anything else? Yeah, I've seen him in Perfect Friday. Do you remember? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, of course. Stanley Baker is, I think, this forgotten god of the British cinema, and I, like I'm working on this thesis about it in the sense that I want to talk about a lot of Stanley Baker films right. in, during our podcast because he, I think, oh, he was wonderful. Uh, and the sort of they're the two older guys. Then we've got Jacqueline Sassard, who's sort of the hot chick in it. Yeah, no, no, but I mean, that's that's I'm not sure she ever went on to have any kind of career or whether she's even much of an actress, but I thought she was very effective in this. She's got a look, and she's sort of all you need is, is to have a look. I mean, you've this. said it all there is that it's just a look. She has there's nothing on paper for her, there's no character, there's no charisma, there's no real reason other than being attracted to her that these three guys could but she's very attractive which is a problem for me in terms of if that's what the film is about three guys finding someone attractive just because of how they look regardless of any kind of emotional or verbal oh look if you're looking for interaction with her we need to see, we need to see the appeal of this woman ourselves and we get nothing because she has maybe look, nine lines of dialogue Pinter and aside stuff from her tends to be Icy and enigmatic. He's not the guy to go for fluffy, warm, emotional depth. But it's, you see, it's so brilliantly done. That minimal dialogue tells us so much in this. But, but let's move on for a second, because I also wanted to say Michael York's in this. And I was amazed, because I'd always sort of dismissed Michael York as kind of a handsome young leading man who wasn't much of an actor, but he's very good in this. I'm, I'm going to have to reassess him. He's slightly too good because he's playing an arrogant twat. And he comes across as an arrogant twat. And the me, trouble with that is that that quite quickly becomes unlikable. May I unlikable. please just give one example of what I thought was brilliant acting? So the setup is Dirk Bogart is a lecturer at Oxford, Cambridge, Oxford, Oxford, Oxford. Uh, and he's a tutor, and he's the tutor of Michael York, who's a student there. He's teaching philosophy. He's also teaching Anna Jacqueline Sassard philosophy, and he fancies he's, Dirk Bogart's a allegedly happily married man. Uh, Stanley Baker is sort of um he's a writer uh, he's sort of um I'm trying, there's a word for it, he's sort of a pundit if you know what i mean he, he's yeah. a and he's a mate of dirk bogart and he's obviously also something to do with oxford because he's hanging around in in the uh 
in the, the teacher's room. He teaches, but he's also doing. Oh, okay, he's work. All, he also teaches. So, and he's he's uh, theoretically an archaeologist and a novelist and all these other things. And a jack of all trades, I think, which is probably the offence that Dirk Bogart's taking, and that and I don't think he has a specialism. He's an old mate of Dirk Bogart's, and then there's Vivian Merchant, who is uh, Bogart's wife, which is interesting because in real life, at this point, he was Harold. P- she was Harold Pinter's wife, and those five are already a terrific cast. Didn't you think? Bogart's kids were great. The little boy and little girl, weren't they? No. Didn't like the dog? I didn't like the way the girl kept looking over the camera to see if what she was doing was okay. And I can't believe anyone would use those takes. If you go back to the first scene when he gets home and he sits on the sofa and they come over and they I cover with him. I thought she was utterly charming, which is unusual She's for me. She's very distracted by the director. And the, the dog is really good. But getting, the dog is really good. But getting back to the... <laughs> But that, you see, that's not a relevant thing to say because Dirk Bogart has this idyllic home life with his wife, two kids, and his lovely dog in this lovely house. But he fancies his student, Anna. And she is... The, the thing about Anna is that she's dating Michael York, who's also his student, but she's also banging Stanley Baker, who's Bogart's friend. And what really eats... There's this insidious envy between Bogart and Stanley Baker, between Stephen and Charlie, right? Because... His friend is more successful than he is. His friend's always appearing on television, on panel shows. And there's a wonderful sequence where Dirk Bogart thinks that he's going to get a chance to be on television. And it all goes horribly wrong. I think we've all had moments like that. He goes down... We for, certainly all have meetings like that, yeah, where you yeah. get there and then suddenly everyone's vanished. And you think, yeah. oh, is that, oh, am I done that, That's how important I am, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. he, he turns up for the meeting and the guy he's, he's meeting has actually been rushed into hospital and he has to see somebody else. He sees this guy who's actually Harold Pinter. And then... Freddie Jones walks in and Freddie Jones and Harold Pinter race off to the hospital to see the guy who's supposed to meet. That, that's his big chance in television. Gone. Dirk Bogart's big chance in television. But then to add insult to injury, he finds that Stanley Baker is also having sex with Jacqueline Sassard, with Anna. Are there any likable, nice people in this film? Well, I certainly think that Bogart's wife and Stanley Baker's wife are likable. Okay. Stanley Baker's wife, I'll give you because... You know, she does only have one flashback yeah. scene and that's it. Bogart's wife seems okay at first. And then you get that sequence where she just keeps calling the other people stupid. They're just stupid. Yeah, but and you that... realise that she's inarticulate and just driven by jealousy and hate. And Well, she may be driven by hate but not jealousy. The people she's calling stupid, she's calling Stanley Baker stupid for having an affair. But then she calls his wife stupid for letting him. Oh, that's true. Yeah. But this is my problem, is that no one in this film is likeable, and if just one person was likeable, which, I mean, it should have been Anna. I feel like Anna should have been a charismatic, incredible person that you would want I to spend time begin, with, you would want to leave I your be, wife for. begin to see your problem with this. Uh, if you go out coming at it from that direction, there's nothing here for you. But didn't Jerry Fisher's photographer turn you, photography turn you on at all? Um, there's amazing hot blue skies of an English summer... Yes, it would have been nice if they hadn't just been in one house for the location and trying to pass it off as three other locations. Well, it didn't didn't bother me. I mean, just those country <laughs> roads and the, the brilliant way that the the accident is just done in sound. I just love that with the cameras just outside the front gates of of Bogart's house and the accident is just done as sound at the smash up and the bit where. Uh, he goes. What happens is Dirk Bogart races to this car which has crashed, and it's got Michael York and Jacqueline Sassard in it. And Michael York's dead, and Jacqueline Sassard he, he helps her climb out. And of course, of climbing out, she sticks her foot on her shoe on the face of Michael York. It's just an unforgettable moment. Yeah, 
the line about you know, you've stepped on his face or whatever, or just screamed out by Bogart at one point. That's that's a nice line. Yeah. Started well. Um, I've got to tell you, in terms of the photography and the, the back garden, all my only note here is um, you just don't see electricity pylons anymore, which I hadn't noticed until I looked Jerry at the back Fisher's garden. Uh, photography is really particularly stunning. In this. I, what happened when I, I watched this on the DVD, which I lent you, hmm. and as soon as I watched it, I thought, is there a Blu-ray of this? Because it's visually so rapturously beautiful. And it was. And I went out and bought it which, so I could lend you the DVDs and I could watch this in its full glory. I mean, it's not the photography's the direction, but the um, one thing that I did notice, there's a couple of long takes in there. One is very good, which is where Bogard gets home from that job interview and yeah. makes himself some eggs for dinner. And it's one long take, and the fucker has to make an omelette during the take. And it looks like a pretty good omelette. He pulls it off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no one eats it properly, but um, that's an impressive thing to have to... Bogard is... You, know, you don't is, want too much business in a scene. Th- you want to be getting no, on with other things, especially Bogart a film like this. Incredibly good, and I like this from a starting point of not of coming into his movie thinking that Stanley Baker would be the best thing in it. Bogart did it extraordinarily well. And I want to get back to what I wanted to say about Michael York, Sorry. whom I dismissed, which was that it's that drunken scene that you were talking about earlier. And all up till this point, Michael York has been the lovable, friendly, affable, um, respectful student. Of Dirk Bogart. Does he, though? Because I found him quite disrespectful in that first scene where they're both sitting up at the window talking. He's kind of mischievous and teasing, which is really Mm. nice. But the point is, what has happened is that Michael York has taken his girlfriend to lunch at Dirk Bogart, Sunday lunch at Dirk Bogart's house. Now, Charlie, who's Dirk Bogart's friend, also turns up. We don't know this at this point, but he's been having an affair with Anna, Michael York's girlfriend. But Michael York gets very drunk in the course of the day, and he gets so truculent and hostile especially towards Dirk Bogart to whom he's always been you know he's never revealed any any uh, explicit animus before and he plays that drunken truculence so well I thought that's really good excellent acting but we've been through drunk acting what we, did you we think covered of it? this before what did you think of his drunk acting well they're all drunk give yeah, me your I, rundown I... on their drunk acting Look, if you don't like people acting drunk Three people in a very long scene acting drunk no, but is... We're not talking about just somebody acting drunk. We're talking about whether there's a good or bad job of drunk acting. How would you rate their various drunk acting? Um, well, York is just... Like I said before, York is arrogant. He's too effective. It's kind of like Tony Slattery so he, he's in very uh, effective. Yeah. Yeah, Peter's Friends, okay. where he's having to play an unpleasant person. And it's very difficult to find that balance because if you're doing it well, you come across as very unpleasant well, anyway. Well, we both agree that Michael York... Acts really well in this. Then. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so, was he the best drunk actor in the drunken scene? He was the most convincing drunk actor in the. Drunk oh, that's scene. that's what I'm asking for. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and in fact, there's a scene shortly after that which um, tiny details bother me like this. Yes, for a film evidently. that seems to be, yeah, you know, it all seems to hinge on detail. Um, Dirk Bogart's wife sleeps on both sides of the bed in this film. Now, that's a serious crime. Well, it is, because anyone that's married knows that even if you are staying in a hotel on your own, it's incredibly difficult to use both sides of the bed. You find it, you automatically gravitate to your side and you stay on your side. And it's just a little character piece which, you know, it, I can't think of a good reason for it to be deliberate. So maybe some couples have the kind of wild private life where they alternate the sides of the bed that they're I defy you to go email all your married friends and ask them um, 
if they would sleep on the other side of the bed, is... knowing full well that the other person was coming to bed at some point. Well, I can see that this is a major stopping. St- it's just block a thing you. you notice. You know, when you when you're not enjoying the rest of the scene, <laughs> you start looking at the deeper things, and there are there's plenty to like. You say there's plenty to like in there. But the thing the thing about this movie that, that you're not giving it any credit for is that Pinto, with just so few words can reveal exactly what is going on in the dynamics between these people. See, I don't think he did, because I couldn't work out, for most of the early, right up to that drunk scene and further on, I couldn't work out why everyone hated each other. I think, why have you all bothered to come this day? Well, they, they don't. I, I, I had no idea that they did hate each other. Well, they're just being cunts to each other. Every single person has got a snide aside or a, like a... Because of these incessant pauses. It's... Which are tremendously effective. Are they? <laughs> Well, look, I'm, I'm not a. This film is directed by Joseph Losey, and I'm not a huge Joseph Losey fan. I think you could go out and find a bunch of Joseph Losey movies that are done with those kind of ponderous pauses that just don't work. But here, I think that it's like poetry. I mean, what you fail, what we failed to convey at this point is that it takes place in this sort of wonderful kind of seething summer with crickets going in the background. There's a kind of lazy kind of lawnmower feel to it. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes it does. I mean, they obviously had a couple of bad days of weather that they've had to cut around, which is a shame, especially uh, toward the end when he's talking to his wife out in the garden. Um, he's, talking, he's talking to Stanley Baker. Dirk Bogart's talking to Stanley Baker. No, Dirk Bogart's talking to oh. his own wife. It's when she's sitting in the deck chair and he's facing the other way and yeah. he's got having the flashbacks to um, Stanley Baker's wife it's yeah. during that sequence. There's a lot it's of rain in that sequence. It's a horrible day. Um, but only on the reverse shot, so it's only on the shots of his wife where it's just, it's like gale force winds. And when it comes back to him, it's it's nice and still. Which One thing that I forgot when I saw this is there's the sequence we mentioned where Dirk Bogart thinks he's going to break into television and he doesn't even get the meeting. And at a loose end, he rings up an ex-girlfriend of his and he, then he actually ends up going to bed with her. Yeah. But that whole sequence is done silent with the dialogue kind of dropped over it. Yeah. And I loved that. Quite a French new wave thing, isn't it? It's, well, it's it's yeah. really well applied here, and I need to go and check the script to see whether Pinter had written it like that or whether that was something Losey did. But whoever did it, it's very effective. Yeah, it's hard to tell whether something like that is deliberate or whether something was horribly wrong with the footage that day, and they managed to capture the. But day. if so, they still got the audio, it, and they've just made a good job of it. It's so inspired. It does. It it rockets along. It's a nice sequence. Um, but my, like I say, my problem with this is that. I, I don't find any of these people likeable, so I don't know who I'm supposed to be interested in. These are upper-middle-class people, very well, well off, th- doing all right for themselves, yeah, who have issues, and I don't know true. why I should care about their issues. If just one person was sympathetic, or if Anna was of any interest other than just as a Visually. thing to look at. Visually, yeah. Um, I mean, there, well, there's I... even a bit later on where Dirk Bogart... I mean, we're looking... You've just mentioned Dirk Bogart here as a... Yeah, I said I quite liked his performance, but it's a weird role because... He's had to lust after this other woman, cheat on his pregnant wife, and then attempt to rape Anna shortly after the oh, death that's, of... Oh, that's, that's a horrible scene, but, it, I mean, it's intentionally horrible. It's not inadvertently horrible. But who's it for? I don't know what you mean by who's it for. Well, where, I mean, films should be a, a look, source of some entertainment somewhere down to, the line. Allow me to set the scene of what's happened. We mentioned that this begins with a crash in which Michael York is killed, and... Dirk Bogart rescues Anna from the wreck of the car. And the implication is that she was driving. She doesn't have a license in this country because she's Austrian. And it's her fault that they've crashed. They've both been drinking and her boyfriend's now dead. And he, he rescues her from that. Then he takes her back to the house 
and he he calls the cops, but he doesn't tell anybody that she was in the car. So he's no. sort of covering for her, and he's put her to bed upstairs. But uh, he's he's wanted he's wanted her all through this film, and he's, his friend turns out to have been having her all this time in the background. Michael York was at least dating her, maybe sleeping with her, and this has driven Dirk Bogard crazy. So he's gonna come hell or high water. He's intent on sleeping with her. Even though her boyfriend has just been killed. I mean, it's monstrous, but that is the argument See, of the film. You're using the phrase sleeping with her there. He's, well, he wants to rape her, is what he wants oh, to he's, do. He's determined to have sex with her, and if, that, if it means Even raping if she doesn't her, want to. Well, she, let me finish the sentence. He's determined <laughs> to have sex with her, how, whatever that requires, including raping her. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And this is my issue, so I can't but it's possibly not, it's, but like Dirk like, Bogart's character in this. Well, uh, yes. But I can't possibly like Michael York's um, poor me, poor me aristocrat. Yeah, and I can't possibly like Stanley Baker's snide. He's look so at me, I'm shagging behind your back. I'm, you know, doing all these. It's all so brilliantly done. All three of these people, I, I just have no sympathy for. Don't like, score really high likability. Yeah. And I just have no interest in Anna. Well, I, I I hear what you're saying because I've had movies where I had exactly that that I just didn't care about anybody. So what's the point? Mm. And so I understand totally what you mean. But in this, I'm bewitched by the, the, the master craftsmanship of Pinter, of Jerry Fisher, the, the cameraman. And although I'm not a big fan of Losey, I have to say it's not, this, it's not great in spite of Joseph Losey. He's done a really good job on this. I mean, it's really strong material. They, they did three films together, Pinter and Losey. They did The Go-Between, This and The Servant. And I think we should watch the other two and see what comes of it. But I'm it, pretty sure I've seen The Go-Between. Right. The, the thing is, if you are looking for human depth and warmth. You ain't likely to find... It's not impossible, not, it's but not you're, human depth and warmth. you're not likely to find that in Pinter. Likeability. You're I've not likely a, yeah, I've to find that I've watched a lot of films about arseholes, but usually there's someone in that film that is likeable or of interest or will keep you watching As to find out how that for it. Yeah, even if you liked Michael York, you know he's going to die because he's dead in the first two seconds of the film. I'm just... I oh, see, I meant to say what that link yeah. was as well. Like, that what? <laughs> I forgot to mention the link as well, the, the music link. Oh, oh, John Dankworth did the film, the music yeah. for this. Uh, yeah. And he also did it for Perfect Friday, is that right? Yeah. But yeah. did you see who the harpist was? No, I did see that there were two harpists credited, which is very strange. Who One was they? David Snell, who did the original score for Paradise Towers. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I, I had I wonder to who the other guy was. Well, oh, no, no, I don't Dankworth care about Dankworth also did the music for... Um, the Servant. Right, okay. It, now, Dankless music, there's not a lot in there. It's quite no. a minimalist uh, piece. I love the music on the punting sequences. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned it, because I was... I'd forgotten that... that Dankworth is a great British jazz musician, now gone, hmm. but he was kind of one of my British jazz heroes, so I'm glad that you mentioned him. I, I suppose the only way I can justify having forgotten the music is, as you say, it's not used much. No. But that punting scene is kind of hypnotically gorgeous, isn't it? Yeah. Well, unfortunately, that's the only fun music in it the other bit is quite experimental and intrusive yeah i think on the scene because it's a this film is, that doesn't really need music this, i think this is a spellbinding film i really think it's it's something special maybe i just wasn't in the mood i don't know i like, i don't think you were in the mood but i don't <laughs> i also don't think on the basis of what you're saying about wanting somebody to be likable that this movie could ever deliver those goods what i don't want you to think is i didn't give this a chance i mean well, I, that is kind of what i was thinking yeah it's not the case i would have stopped writing i would have stopped watching after i wrote three drunk people three drunk cunts which is pretty much what i ended up emailing you and then it took me about four or five days to crack on with the rest of it so yeah if i didn't care i wouldn't have kept watching but i was determined to see if not least because between 
those two halves, I read the reviews and thought, there's clearly something I'm not getting here. And these yeah. are people whose you know, but opinions But you're not I... wrong about it being cold and alienating, but it's just so well done. And, and also that, balanced against that, is the warmth and beauty and the intense colour of the photography. It's just great. I mean, I know that you can't watch a movie just for the photography, but the coldness of the character's behaviour is set against this idyllic English summer. And the little kids and the dog are kind of lovely. Like I say, Sources on paper, this should be right up my alley. I like... Um, character pieces and films more dialogue based than action that is always been my thing if you look at things like uh in the bleak midwinter which is yeah film i absolutely adore obviously that's a much lighter the touch the thing about the dialogue being gruelingly slow it's funny you should say that because there's a bit i've read the pinter script yeah. i knew the script before i saw the film because i i had this book five screenplays by harold pinter it's like my bible when i was teaching myself to write scripts and this is one of those and there it's full of masterpieces and this is one of them but there's a sequence in it where um this this some old fart is talking to Dirk bogart and stanley baker in the in the uh whatever you call the room where the the dons hang out and he says, oh, have I ever told you the story about Provost Jones and the ladder? Turns out Provost Jones had this ladder. And in the way it's written, it should be delivered like really snappily, like a Marx Brothers thing. And in this, it's delivered at such a funereal pace. I remember thinking, Joseph Losey, you just don't understand Pinter's dialogue. This is supposed to be fast, funny, almost screwball dialogue. But that's what I thought when I watched it last time. When I watched it this time, I thought that slow, languorous delivery worked rather well. So maybe it's something that just grows on you. Because at some point i totally agreed with you at one point in this movie but i don't even agree with you about that point now i'm sorry what can i say but i think if you're interested in the cinema british cinema of the 60s and people like nicholas rogue although he had nothing to do with this it almost looks like a rogue movie its concerns and the the, the beauty of the photography do seem to me congruent with a lot of rogue's work i'm trying to remember is it four three it Oh, I seem to remember when I was watching it that it pretty much totally filled my widescreen TV. Okay. It's certainly not um, that square kind of uh, what they call academy ratio, is it? No. Or 4 three. Oh, is that what 4-3 is? I thought that might be. In no, my head, that's what it was. But no, it's I... widescreen, yeah. yeah. I was very disappointed at the very beginning with that. You, you cited it as a good thing, but this crash where you only hear the sound. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's a very effective crash, especially when your film is called Accident. And I realise well, that I, I, the title does not necessarily refer to the car well, accident, but... Yeah. Um, no, full marks. I think, ideally, you want that accident at least to have... I would rather have seen Bogart running towards the crashed car or have some concept Something of Something dynamic. Yeah, as it was, it was... It I almost th felt like they didn't have the money to stage a crash, but they got the money to no, put a crashed car there. Yeah, so that's exactly right. At it's... least move your camera near it or have some dynamism to that crash at the well, beginning. I, that must have been an aesthetic decision because Jerry Fisher's camera work is really like there's a couple of bits where it's just a handheld like really subtle it's very mobile he knows exactly where to put the camera and how to move the well, camera well I think a lot of that is that bloody small house they're filming in Christ knows how he managed to turn there's one sequence in that where um, it's in that bedroom up the very top yeah. Anna's making the bed yeah. and how they managed to get because the, the camera comes in and it's one shot still the when the door closes the camera is master there must have been cables on that floor that's what I do but you <laughs> so. see it's just so brilliant done. I like the fact that, that the crash is done purely as sound because then at the end of the film we see Dirk Bogart and his and his kids and his dog outside the house and he's, he's calling them into the house and the house we went up with just the empty house in the shot and then we hear the sound of the crash again and it's not a realistic sound because the crash took place at night long before this sequence but it's there's a sort of suggestion that 
the damage is still going on. Mm. I just think this is a great movie. I think every, look, everybody's going to have to give this a chance. We can't agree about everything. No. Thank you for being a good sport about watching it. Next time, if you're in the middle of the film and heard it, don't feel you have to email me and let me know because it just worried me. <laughs> let me just see if I've got any notes about Crash. But I probably don't because I just kind of love love that movie and I, I think it's... And every time I see it, I think it gets better. No, um, well, the, this case has been very strongly put both for and against this film. Um... Yeah. One other thing I did notice is the peculiar yeah. poster, which I don't know if it was an advertising thing at the time or what, but in the restaurant where Bogart's having the affair with the ex-girlfriend, it, it says, uh, "Happy meals like... here and keep your wife as a pet." Yeah, I know. It's, it's extraordinary. <laughs> you see, I saw it. It's it's in the background of a shot, and then yeah. they actually do a close-up. And in the background, I thought it says, "Have your meals here and give your wife a break," which would have made sense, right? Yeah. But then they they do that close-up of it. Yeah. So, I mean, it is a strange kind of 60s poster. For what a does film it mean? that's already not big on women, that's a weird poster to focus on. Is it not big on women? Mm. You've got to be kidding. <laughs> well, you think I women th- get a good deal out of this film? I don't think they're well treated in this, but I don't think... I think that's what the characters in the film are doing. I don't think that, that the politics of the filmmaking are necessarily anti-women. Well, I think the plot is. Therefore, the film itself is, surely. Well, you can make a film about shitty sexist people without being a shitty sexist can't you you can but if the whole film revolves around three men two of which are too old to be lusting after a young woman when they're both married and she has no they lines, both have really nice wives and she's well, fair I game f- for rape later well uh, it's not that thing about the, that rape thing it's not as though we're supposed to be complicit in it it's horrible and we're supposed to think that Dirk Bogart's being horrible the other thing that surprised me is I just thought to check this is only a PG but that's pretty full on that sequence well it's it's monstrous it's yeah. diabolical but that's sort of that's have an odd way of acting but but i mean the bogart's character who starts off as seeming like this really nice guy and he just becomes more and more kind of evil is that too strong a word <laughs> um, i think i think you used the right word earlier uh, for for everyone truculent well, certainly, that I thought Michael York's drunken truculence was amazingly well achieved. Mm. Oh well. I oh, think well. I could quickly have to put the case for this movie. It, it's <laughs> it is about infidelity, obviously, and it's amazingly adroit in its depiction of the of this. I mean, you can hate it for reasons of class warfare or the fact that the dialogue Matt thinks it's too slow. I, I don't. I think it's. And I, I'm not up for pretentious slow dialogue, and, and I do know this thing about Pinter's pauses, but this is Pinter, I think, at his best, and it's I think it's a fabulous, fabulous movie, and one that's well worth rediscovering. And if I can add one more thing in terms of Please. the likability of characters, yeah. all three characters, all three men, deliberately drive when drunk. Okay, one of them dies as a consequence, but yeah, but at the t- and, and this is not justifying what they're doing but at the time yeah. everybody drove when they're drunk and everybody smoked I mean this was just oh well the smoking well, we, we're finding this with every film 1967 yeah I mean Bogart's pipe comes out every time oh, he walks into someone's so house so ridiculous think, well that sequence where he cooks the omelette yes which is okay just to just to give a little more little more, the deta- the table. little more detail about this um, Bogart has gone to London hoping he's got this big career making interview where he's going to break into television and be as good as his friend Charlie. And that interview goes horribly wrong. So on the rebound from that, he goes and shags an ex-girlfriend. Then afterwards, he comes back to what he thinks is going to be his empty house because his pregnant wife and his two kids and even the dog 
have relocated to, I think, the the wife's mother's house, somewhere like that. They're all gone. It's going to be an empty house. And he comes in and he hears somebody upstairs and he's very scared. And it turns out to be Stanley Baker, who's brought Anna there because they figured the house would be empty and it'd be a good shag pad, yeah. right? And so what happens is, it's a very uncomfortable situation. And uh, I think that, is it, I can't remember who, either Anna or Charlie says something like, is it all right uh, that we're here? Or they, they say some leading question and all Dirk Bogart says is, I'm hungry. And he goes into the kitchen and he starts cooking that omelette. And so they follow him in. And he's cooking this omelette. The first thing they do is they both light cigarettes when he's about to eat. So that's the sort of difference between 1967 and now. But setting the cigarettes aside, that's a really cool sequence because he's asked the others if they want anything to eat. And Stanley Baker very definitely says, no, I don't want anything to eat. And as soon as he finishes the omelette and puts it on the plate, Stanley Baker grabs a fork and starts eating it. I think it's really... And then uh, Anna says, but you said you weren't hungry. I just thought it was a lovely scene. There is another, another moment there with Anna, though, which... Can, 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 can we stay with the omelette for just a moment? More? Well, this is the same thing. Okay, yeah. Which is, um, she offers to cook, and Stanley Baker says, can you? Yeah. Which, I mean, again, they've got no interest in her whatsoever. It's just oh, something to put their a, dicks in. But he's he's really quite nasty to her. But that's, yeah. I mean, that is the character. That This isn't like, they're not, it's not as though the movie is saying, this is how people should be. It's saying how these people are. But to get back to the omelette... Um, Stanley Baker starts eating it and Dirk Bogart takes it away from him and he goes to the other end of the table and he, he knocks those cigarettes away with a gesture that you remember so well. And then he proceeds to eat the, the uh, omelette with the same fork that Stanley Baker just used, which is just something which I, I found, uh, you know, a bit weird. <laughs> the only reason I noticed New it fork, the fact that way is yeah. because it's that long take. I watched it yeah. a couple of times and when she places the pack, she places yeah. it very deliberately. So uh, that he can away. go it's up a, there. It's an odd gesture, but you don't notice it because he's cooking the omelette in the foreground. So it's quite... it sets up the fact that he can be annoyed about the cigarettes and yeah. about their presence in his life generally. Yeah, yeah. He should definitely. Okay, the only real flaw in this movie, I think, is that Dirk should have used another fork when he ate his omelette. I think you, you probably had a few more faults. Yeah, I, I think it. you're seriously underestimating the wrong side of the bed thing, and I might even run a poll. <laughs> <laughs> and this might be a movie that if we and I hope we do continue this podcast for a long, long time, might be worth returning to and also getting you to watch the Blu-ray, maybe? At least oh, you can... Quite possibly. There was a documentary on this, but I didn't have time to watch it. Um, but oh, was there? Yeah. Oh, my God, goodness. Well, we'll have to check that out. Yeah. <laughs> it's your disc. <laughs> yeah, well, I knew that the, the Blu-ray was replete with extras. Well, the thing is, I find so little time... This is just a general comment, but it applies to all the podcasts. I find so little time to do the stuff I want, including watching movies, yeah. that when I finish watching a movie I like... I can either watch a bunch of extras, which is usually why I bought that particular disc for the extras, or I can fit in another movie. And no, it, the other movie it. always wins. Almost it was only always the other wins. day I was watching Breakfast Club again and I finally remembered that there is a commentary on that, which yeah. I've not listened to for 10 years. I finally got around to it. It's brilliant. I just, <laughs> no, and I, I, I like these extras and I will make use of them. But and sometimes I do have an extras binge, but especially at the moment when we're doing three or four movies a week, I ain't got time, dude. No, that's fair <laughs> enough. But... Um, so everybody out there listening, Accent, an amazing movie with an extraordinary cast, uh, fantastic script based on an, an intriguing novel, as I said, and Joseph Losey. I, I don't, I kind of don't like Joseph Losey, but I thought he did really well on this. A wonderful photographer, Jeff, Jerry Fisher and Johnny Dankworth's music, intriguing. Matt has made the case for not liking it. A lot of people won't, but if you want to give it a, a go please give it a try and let me know what you think. Or just read the Pinterest screenplay, which again is a model of, of 
minimalist construction. It's fantastically brilliant. I, I have you got the book? I do got the book. The actual the, the novel, I mean. Uh, you know what? I had the novel in one of my insane purges when I reduced the size of my library. I got rid of it and a bunch of other Nicholas Mosley novels. So it's gone. But I, I think I'm going to buy it and read it and then read the Pinterest screen. I might try and get hold of the novel and see if it's any preferable. Uh, the, the novel is very kind of postmodern and en enigmatic. But, but you know, maybe, maybe that's so how I. you roll. Yeah, you are. <laughs> I can see, see you sitting there. You've got your haircut suggestion. Okay, so thank you for being a good sport and watching that. Uh, I'll be interested to see what, what I can force upon you next. This has been a podcast by my friend Matt West and myself, Andrew Cartmel. But very importantly, the music, the fabulous music you heard at the beginning and that you're listening to now is by Joe Kramer. Thank you very much, Joe. Don't! He's standing on his face!